0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Norfolk, Anthony Pettis versus Dustin Poirier, and man, What a classic between two of the lightweight staples. I mean, in the WEC, this would have been an amazing fight, and it's going to be an amazing fight this Saturday in Norfolk. Yeah, man. Every time Dustin Poirier fights, you have
1: to tune in. The guy is one of the most entertaining fighters to ever do it. I mean, his fighting style draws the fans in, and Anthony Pettis is the former former champion, WEC champ, UFC champ, and uh, he's trying to get back to his uh, winning ways, so let's see if he can do it. It's
0: going to be interesting, man. I mean, in Pettis prime, dude's jumping off the cage, kicking Benson Henderson's head into the fifth row. And Dustin Poirier has been involved in some of the best wars in UFC history. I cannot wait. But before we break down this card, you recently cashed the biggest bet of your betting career. You went out there, you cashed a big underdog play. Well, when I say big underdog play, I just mean big in terms of the amount risked. On uh, Randy Brown, and he went out there. He took care of biz. He made a sweat in the second round when Mickey Gall swept him. But overall, he showed that he's a level above, and uh, Mickey might need to go back to the regional scene. Yeah, man. You know, Mickey Gall. You know, regarding what I said about him on the last
1: show. Look, it is what it is. The kids. He's. I didn't say. I didn't say he was not tough. He is. He is tough. But look, he's. Just, he just wasn't ready for this level. Um, where he goes from now, I don't know. But still open to fading him. I'm open to fading anyone, you know, if the if the price is right, if the spot is right. But Mickey Gall is tougher than what I thought. But uh, Randy Brown went out there, took care of business. Like you said, he made a sweat. I was super nervous, but he did cash that play for 7.94 units. And all in all, man, it was a great night, a plus-8 unit night. And uh, I'm looking to keep it consistent. At the end of the day, you take a win by any means necessary. Exactly, man. You know, uh, Randy proved that he was better on the mat than him, even though, you know, Mickey did sweep him, but the size was just too much. And uh, Mickey will be back, but he just wasn't ready for that level.
0: It'll be interesting to see who both guys fight next. I'm going to be paying very close attention, and... Speaking of paying close attention and guys that don't belong in the UFC, we got Sage Northcutt. He's minus 160. The comeback on Mitchell Canonis is plus 140. Now, last episode of Half the Battle, you said that Sage Northcutt is a grade-A jobber. So if you're going to use those kind of words, I have to assume that you're going to fade him in the spot, Shaq. Of course I'm fading Sage Northcutt, bro. Look, one thing you
1: can't teach in this game is heart. And Sage Northcutt just doesn't have it. I mean... You know, his uh, UFC debut against Trevino, yeah, he goes out there and smashes a guy that missed weight. you know, failed his post-fight drug test, a guy that uh can't stuff a takedown, and, you know, it was a great spot for him. I actually played Sage that night, and then, you know, when he fought Cody Pfister, you know, when he gave up that first takedown, I was like, Jesus Christ, and then, you know, he couldn't get back up to his feet, you know, he... The ref saved him, and you know he got a takedown. He ended up choking out another great a jobber and Cody Pfister, who's not with the company anymore. But when that performance set me up to start fading Sage Barbarina plus two sixty, you know Barbarina was coming up from lightweight and you know coming up to one seventy, and Barbarina just waited Sage out. He really he wanted to see he wanted to see what Sage really had, and eventually you know Sage quit and he choked him out with a, a move that doesn't even exist. And uh, then after that, you know what I'm saying. Um, he fought Enrique Marine. I faded him against Enrique Marine. It was like plus 440. The line was absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, in certain spots, you know, Sage can just, he's so much more physical than uh, Enrique Marine, you know, frame-wise. And Enrique just didn't have the fight IQ. Enrique's a jobber as well. That's not with the company anymore. And Sage actually quit that fight. It was just that Enrique is just so... Bad that he just couldn't capitalize on it because that in that second round when he had that armbar, Sage was quitting. Like he he wasn't trying to initially. He wasn't trying to get out of it. He was he was trying to let Enrique win the fight to get out of there to escape. And uh, my thing with Sage is when that realness of the fight settles in, he breaks every time. I don't care if he's training with Team Alpha Male, ATT, Novun Yao, Alliance, Extreme Couture. It doesn't matter. The guy you can't teach heart and you can't teach chin. And I feel like the guy the guy the his chin is deteriorating. Well his chin was never good in the first place. I mean, we saw that in the Enrique Marine fight he wobbled. Mickey Gall but the Mickey Gall fight <laughs> he got dropped on his ass. And you know, when I when I uh afterwards when we were watching tape on Sage and I I was like, No wonder Mickey beat him. I mean, the guy's getting taken down with these terrible takedowns that you can see that Randy Brown easily had no problem with. And uh Sage is a great A jobber. Look, yeah, you know, a lot of people assume, oh, he's training out Alpha Male. He's getting a lot better. Maybe they're teaching him choke defense. That's not the issue. The choke, the choke defense is the issue. But it's just he does unnecessary things. You know, he'll he'll be having the better of the stand up exchanges versus Marine, and then he'll just shoot an unnecessary takedown and then get taken down himself. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I put a I put I take Kinonas here, man. I know he had a rough UFC debut against one of the top prospects at one forty five and Jared Gordon. I mean, did you see what Jared Gordon just did to uh Hakron Diaz? I mean, he 30 would him <coughs> in Brazil. And uh Flash Gordon is no slouch, man. That guy stays in your face. And uh Quinone's had some early success. He landed a couple of high kicks. He landed a couple one twos. And you know, Kanona showed me that, and, you know, he can be in there with a guy on that level. Now look, I don't think Canonas is gonna be some top fifteen guy. I don't think he's gonna he might not even hold his spot in the company in a year, but I think he's gonna win this fight. I think he's gonna slowly break him down with body kicks, head kicks, and I feel like uh, even on the mat, man, we could have we can uh, beat him there. You know, we haven't seen uh, Quinones on that mat like the, uh, consistently throughout his career, <laughs> but when you're fighting a guy like Sage. And when the blood starts dripping, that when both guys are tired, I feel like he's going to fold again. I don't think he belongs on this level. And uh, I think the truth is going to come out once again. So I'm going to go with Quinones by second round TKO. I think he's going to break him down slowly. I think uh, he's going to break him down with kicks. I think early it might be a little hairy, but the second and third rounds is where he's really going to prevail. That experience is going to prevail. The tougher guy will prevail, and we'll get the win. I put 1.5 units on it, and uh, I think uh, it's going to be... Well, it opened plus 175. I took that, and then you know I didn't think it was going to get any higher, and it came down to plus 165 or plus 160. I can't remember, but I, I put another 0.5 units on it, and uh, I think it's going to cash. Look, you fade Sage Northcutt. The guy's not going to out-heart you. He's not going to out you. He's not going to outwill you. He has to dominate
0: you physically, and he's not going to dominate Quinones physically. Yeah, Sage Northcutt is a joke, and I'm very much looking forward to this opportunity. I mean, when you talk about not being UFC caliber. I mean, so first of all, he comes out there in that UFC debut, and we thought, you know, it was like a 30-second finish. We thought, oh, man, look at this kid, you know. But the best thing about him, like you said last week, is his physique. It's not his fighting at all and you know against barbarena he taps out to an arm triangle from the wrong side and you know against mickey gall he doesn't even try to fight the hands when that choke is in and the dude will give up the fight too you know he he might even be winning on the feet and then he'll go for a somersault kick end up on his back you get on top of him he's not getting up you saw that cody fister fight cody fister took this guy down sage northcutt couldn't get back up he needed the referee to come help him get back up and uh I think those days are long gone where the referee's gonna give him, you know, some help. I think uh Sage being this hype prospect, that's uh in the past, you know. Sage ain't cheap, you know, paying this guy fifty K to show, uh, that's not gonna last very long, especially with the kind of performances he's putting on. Word on the street is they wanted to cut him after the marine fight, but they got a uh, you know, Mickey Gall, the win there, and now one of these guys is going to go home, and it's going to be the last fight of their UFC careers because losers going home. That, that's the bottom line here. And I think that loser is going to be Sage Northcutt, man. Look, Mitchell Quinones, if you've only seen his fight with Jared Gordon and you don't know the backstory, I understand why you're skeptical. I understand why you're questioning our reasoning here. I completely understand. But why don't I tell you guys the backstory? Mitchell has weighed 180 pounds. He got the call on three weeks short notice to drop to 145 pounds against uh, Jared Gordon. You know what I'm saying, man? You go from 180 to 145 in three weeks. He said after the first grappling exchange, he couldn't even feel his legs, and he didn't quit. You know what? You know what would have happened if Sage got on the mat one time with Jared Gordon? I mean, it would have been it would be game over. He'd be tapping out the shit that's not even locked in, which he is known for, which he's done more than once. And look, in this fight. He's going to get beat at his own game. You know, people are saying shit like, oh, well, if it doesn't hit the mat. Sage has got this as if he's some great striker. He ain't a great striker at all. Firstly, he doesn't move his head off the center line. You saw Mickey fucking Gall drop him. This dude doesn't move his head at all. I mean, some of that shit I saw in that fight was
1: amateur level, bro. Like, the, he was trying to play with Mickey and it didn't work, man. I mean, the guy, like I said, is a grade-A jobber. He doesn't belong on this level. And uh, I don't think he's going to get
0: another UFC win. The truth comes out in that octagon and he doesn't belong here. So, like I was saying, he doesn't move his head off the center line, and he also can't take a punch. He's very chinny. He doesn't have that kind of confidence in himself, and I think that Mitchell Quinonez, he's actually quite a decent striker, man. I mean, he's got a Taekwondo background. He's been training since he was five years old. I know Sage has as well, but Quinonez actually has heart. Quinonez wasn't forced to fight. Just put it that way. You know what I'm saying? And uh,
1: like I said, man, when the realness of that fight settles in, Sage, Sage will fold. And once the realness of the fight settles in here and he's getting blasted with body kicks, the occasional head kick, the
0: one twos, then he'll find his way out. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's going to be interesting because he's going to get beat on the feet here. Look, if Mitchell decides to take it to the mat, I think he can take it to the mat. Look, Cody Pfister took this motherfucker down. Enrique Marine took this Mickey guy Gall. down. and Mickey Gall dropped this guy. I mean, it's, it's a joke. And, you know, you watch that Marine fight. I, I challenge every single listener to Half the Battle to go back and rewatch that Marine fight. You need to be reminded what kind of caliber fighter this guy is. I mean... you know, much of these guys in the NFC, you know, the local fights here would beat Sage Northcutt. Mark my words on that. But you watch that fight with Enrique Marín, and you see Sage Northcutt going for the takedowns. And from his own takedown attempts, he gets taken down. I'm like, the fuck is wrong with this guy, man? So, he's he's not on this level. I think he's going to get exposed once again. And unfortunately, this is going to be the last time we get to fade him. If somehow he pulls off a win, which I highly doubt, we'll fade him the next fight as well. But... In this spot specifically, I took two units at plus 175. Currently, it's plus 140, and I know the line dropped, you know, 35 cents, but the way I view it is you get plus money to fade Sage Northcutt. <laughs> I mean, take that shit. I'm in. Yeah, so, you know, I'm in. Two units, plus 175. Mitchell Quinones, I think he's going to go out here and make Sage Northcutt quit. I think he's going to break him in every area of the game. And... Uh, this whole myth about sage actually being a good striker is going to be debunked once again as if it wasn't his last few fights i mean we already knew the deal but he's gonna show once again once he eats a body kick a head kick that he don't want to be in there and i don't care if he's training at team alpha male i mean look it's not a matter of choke defense because choke defense look you fight the hands and if the choke is locked in okay you know Congrats to the person submitting me. And Quinonez ain't trying to choke him. We'll put it We'll put it that way. What happened with Sage was, it was panic situations. Like, the shit's not even locked in, and he's tapping out already. What we want is, we want, if you're betting
1: Kinonas, you want this fight being a, a, a life and death fight. We want Sage tested. We want to see where his heart's at. We want to see where his mind's at. And I don't think his mind and heart can hold up.
0: Either do I. So for that reason, two units, Mitchell Kinonas 175, let's get it. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Sean Strickland. He's minus 245. The comeback on Court McGee is plus 205. Now, interestingly enough, you know, I know that Sean Strickland is the favorite. I favor him as well, Shaq. But, uh, you know, Court McGee has a win over the current middleweight champ, Robert Whitaker. Yeah, Court McGee, you know, he is getting up there
1: in age. He's getting up there in the amount of damage he's taken in the Ponzinibbio fight, the Dom Steele fight, and uh, the Ben Saunders fight, which he uh, is coming off of, and and, you know, but one thing about Cormac McGee, man, the cardio is never in question. The guy can push a tremendous pace. I mean, I remember his fight with Ryan Laflair back in the day, and in the, the pace that those two pushed were just incredible. I recommend everyone going back and watching that fight because the pace was just ridiculous. And uh, Strickland, he's one of these guys that likes to – I like his game. Uh, I actually like, you know – Strickland against these type of fighters, you know, these shorter wrestlers that he can jab up, run away, you know, land the occasional one-two circle off, like how he get a- did against Tom Breeze, how he weasel a decision against Luke Barnett, how he uh, knocked out Alex Garcia. I like him against these type of guys, and uh, unfortunately, the line's too steep, but, I mean, if it was flipped the other way, I'd definitely be taking the shot on Strickland, but that's not the case here. I think Cor McGee's a tough guy. I think he's taken a lot of damage. But the reason why I wouldn't, you know, parlay Strickland or, you know, I don't want any part of it is just because Strickland's takedown D actually isn't the best. Um, Tom Breeze took him down. Alex Garcia took him down two or three times. We just saw his last fight with Kamaru, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, his takedown D is actually a little questionable. But he, he works his way back up to his feet every single time. So, But uh, I, think, I think he will pull out the win here. I actually see a possibility possibility of it being a split decision a close fight where you're screaming at your tv come on sean we need more we need more we need more and uh but i think he will get past this one i think the jab's just going to be too much i see you know i'm busting up court's face busting up his nose but i wouldn't be shocked if court came out here and just out outpaced him and uh outworked him
0: yeah the thing you got to be careful when you bet on sean strickland is that even if he's so much more skilled than you he still fights close. Like I remember when I bet on him against Breeze and you know Breeze is a very skilled guy don't get me wrong but I was like come on Sean like more output man yeah, you know yeah, what I'm sure. saying and he came through but you know in this spot we need the same thing. Now obviously minus 245 I'm passing as well. But look Court McGee's is a tough guy man. You know one thing that separates him from someone like Sage Northcutt is that Court McGee's got heart for days. You know he's been through shit in his life. He's Overcome, you know, a drug overdose. He changed his life around. He won the Ultimate Fighter. He beat Robert Whitaker. You know, Court McGee. He had a great run, man. But all great runs do come to an end, Shaq. And I think the Santiago Pons was kind of the start of, you know, it's not that Court McGee would have beat that guy in his prime. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it was that the way he got blasted. I mean, that was he might have he might have still lost to Santiago in his prime, but he might have at least lasted the three round distance. But here, he got blasted in the first. And since that point, man, he just hasn't looked as good in my opinion. You know, the Dominic Steele fight, the Ben Saunders fight, he slowed down a step. Look, the guy's got cardio for all three rounds. Make no mistake about that. So if Sean Strickland doesn't put him away, expect Court McGee to be in there for the duration of the fight. That being said, I do think that sharp jab of Strickland is going to be a big weapon. I do think he's going to pop the head back of Court McGee. I think he's going to run away with his decision here. Now, it could get close at times, but he could also come out here and finish Court McGee. There's going to be a time, just like the Santiago fight, where Court McGee just can't take the shots like he used to, and he starts going down to guys that normally wouldn't knock him out. And I think that Sean Strickland could knock him out, just like he knocked out Alex Garcia. We're going to have to see what happens, and it's going to be good. I got Sean Strickland for the victory. Now, uh, I hear you got an opinion on this one, man, because we got Tatiana Suarez. She's minus 255, Shaq. The comeback on Vivian Pereira is plus 215. Now, this is the second week in a row where a 4-0 fighter is favored over the much more experienced, well-rounded fighter.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Tatiana Suarez has got a lot of hype, man. And, uh, yeah, Tatiana, you know, coming off that uh, ultimate fighter win, she's also coming off of ACL surgery, and she hasn't fought in about, uh, since, since two years since the, uh, night Claudia, uh, Claudia and Joanna had that, uh, rematch, since the night Neto BJJ knocked out Holbrook, you know what I'm saying, so, it's, a it's been a long time since he's been in that cage, and, you know, Viviani's one of these well-rounded Brazilian girls with that traditional Brazilian game, the stalking game, good takedown defense, and, uh, I hear Tatiana's a world class wrestler. She was actually ranked number one in the U.S. for like a long time, and then you know she faced some adversity outside of the cage. And I think she has a good mindset. I think, I think, uh, I think she's a, a typical wrestler. You know what I'm saying? Strong willed. But I think this is a bad matchup for her. And I did, I did uh, take that shot on Viviani at plus two fifteen because I'm getting four zero versus thirteen and zero. Way more experience. Been way more active uh, since since, uh, her ultimate fighter win, and has faced more adversity inside the cage, Viviani's been in a, another chick's home country, and won a split decision, that, that shows me a lot right there, when you can win a split in another girl's home country, and then she comes out there in her second UFC fight, and actually puts a, bl- and puts a bludgeoning on Jamie Moyle, who I put on the same level as Tatiana, I know Tatiana's a good wrestler, but look, here's the thing with Tatiana, 4-0, and, uh, you know, on the ultimate fighter, <sighs> the the caliber of chick she was fighting, man, it, it's it's laughable in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Uh, her fight against Chelsea Bailey, she her for her fight to get into the house, she uh, you know was struggling to get takedowns at times and in the stand the stand up exchanges. I mean, she's just super green in the stand up exchanges. She's very hittable. All she has is a lead a lead kick, and and the lead kick really ain't shit. Viviani's one of these Brazilian bruisers. She reminds me a lot of Ketlin Vieira in uh, terms of styles. You know that stalking style. Big punches and you know, just just solid everywhere. The second you know, someone shoots on her, she's pushing you off. Like it, you know, the time that she did get taken down against uh, Valerie, you know, she got a kick caught, which can't happen here because she will get taken down if that happens. But I think uh, uh, Tatiana's gonna have some ring rest here. I think she's gonna shoot from too far out. I've seen her shoot from too far out a lot of times, and these chicks sometimes they sprawl the initial attempt, but their games are just not developed to the point where they can keep going. And I think Viviani's game is way more developed. I don't understand the line here. We're getting 13-0 versus 4-0. And generally, I don't like betting undefeated fighters, but I'm going to take the fighter that's faced more adversity in the cage, the fighter that's been more active in the cage, the fighter with the way better striking, and uh, the fighter that I think can stuff the takedowns and make her look bad, and that can make her pay for missing these uh takedown attempts. I'm interested to see Tatiana's cardio So uh, I think, uh, of course, she's a... a, a a world championship level wrestler. So, I mean, the cardio should be fine, but when you're in that cage and, you know, punches are being uh, exchanged and you're, and you're really having to work for these takedowns, this is going to be the first time where she really has to work for a takedown. It ain't going to be where she just grabs a single against Bobby Cooper and gets it. That's not going to happen here. She's going to really have to put it together to win this fight. I got Viviani winning a 29-28 decision on two cards and a 30-27, and I think she's going to get the job done here. I think she's the more experienced fighter, the stronger fighter, the, be- the way better striker and i think uh we're gonna bust her up on the feet bro
0: well firstly i'd like to say that Tatiana tatiana's story is amazing much respect you know she's overcome a lot of adversity outside the cage in her personal life so my, my hat's off to her but as far as inside the cage we don't let any of that shit affect how we bet on fights and she's simply too inexperienced for viviane Pereira, in my opinion now if she goes out here and grinds out Vivian Pereira, hey, hats off, much respect. You are able to utilize your wrestling against a much more experienced fighter. I don't see that happening here. You know, with Vivian Pereira, it's interesting because she's got kind of like that, like you said, that traditional Brazilian style, like Hannon Burrell, like Jose Aldo. And, you know, in the male divisions, that shit don't work anymore because the male fighting has evolved way past that point. But in women's MMA, they're still in the Stone Ages, bro. So, you know, that well-rounded style that she brings to the table, that's enough to beat these chicks because they're not on that level. You know, Tatiana Suarez is is on the Ronda Rousey level where she's a specialist. She only has one thing going for her, just the wrestling. No, no striking. You know, the jujitsu is just – it's a product of the wrestling. It's not like she's a – jiu-jitsu specialist it's just she's so strong that she's able to choke these she's about to choke these chicks out but uh in this spot specifically look Viviane. like i said she brings that Hen and barral jose aldo game she's very short she's stocky throws leg kicks uses her jab she can stuff takedowns and she's okay weaseling out decisions i love that quality in a fighter she kind of reminds me of my girl danielle taylor not in the sense that she moves around a lot but in the sense that she knows how to win that close decision that's a quality i love betting on and she's way more experienced than tatiana suarez a lot of those takedown attempts that Tatiana was getting on these chicks, man, shit was ugly. And it's kind of embarrassing that these girls weren't able to stuff that. I mean, you know, they had tried to do a somewhat of a sprawl, but they wouldn't swim in for underhooks. And it was just kind of a joke. And it's like we know Vivian knows how to defend this. This is going to be the biggest uh, step-up in competition that Tatiana's ever faced. And if she's able to overcome that, much respect. I personally don't think she will. I think the two-year layoff, the knee surgery, the fact that she's not well-rounded at all is going to be a problem for her here. I think she's going to struggle to get takedowns. I think she's going to get picked apart on the feet and lose a decision. So I as well took the plus 215. I put two units on it, and uh, I'm hoping that Viviani does what I think she's going to do and piece this girl up and show her that, hey, you need to have a well-rounded skill set in the UFC. This ain't, like I said, the chicks are still in the Stone Ages, but as you saw with Ronda Rousey, she only got away with that shit for so long, man. I mean, even in the fights that she was winning, you go back, you watch that Beth fight, yeah, I get that, I get that it was a 20-second knockout, but watch those exchanges. That shit was ugly, man, and that, that that's what Tatiana's on, man. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I feel like she's a little more patient than Rousey, but like I said, man, when you actually, Viviani's faced adversity in that cage. She's really had to work for things, really had to eke out wins. And Tatiana, I mean, basically what she does is grab singles and she gets them. And, you know, these chicks aren't developed enough to, you know, get the underhooks and sprawl. And actually, uh, you know, she just dominates chicks in the tie-ups. And that's not going to happen here with a, a stocky chick like Viviani, who's training hard. You know, Viviani, if you check out her Instagram, man, she's, she's, uh, She's uh she's ready to fight, let's just put it that way. And, I mean, she's in tr- tremendous shape, and uh, she's going to come ready. You know, this is her first time in the States, and uh, I think uh, she's going to uh, open a lot of eyes, man. I feel like Tatiana might take her down once, but I feel like Viviani's that chick that can – You know, like I said, like Ketlyn Vieira, that can get back up to her feet and make her pay, especially when for the first time in Tatiana's career, when she actually gets a chick that can sprawl on her, that can push her off when she shoots, and when she realizes, like, oh, shit, I'm going to actually have to stand up and win this fight. And I don't think she will.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned it's a step-up in competition, but we didn't mention how big of a step-up in competition. She went from fighting a girl that's 1 and 2 in Bobby Cooper To fighting someone that's 13 and 0. And now we don't cap fights based on records, you know, because that don't mean shit. But in this spot specifically with women's MMA, because it's so undeveloped, it counts for a lot, man. And like you said, she has the experience of going into someone else's country, beating them, beating the former uh, number one contender of that division, man. And that's way more experience than Tatiana has. And also, she knows how to push down on the head. She knows how to pull the leg out. She knows how to wall walk. She knows how to do the things that the ladies that have been fighting Tatiana up to this point have failed to do. I mean, the level of competition Tatiana was fighting on tough was, Amateur level. was a joke. And uh, now she's going to step up. And if she can rise to the occasion, much respect. But I'm a gambling man first. And I'm going to take the plus 215 on Vivian Pereira. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Clay the Carpenter Guida. He's minus 120, and the comeback on J-Lo, Joe Lozon, is plus 100. Now, on paper, I feel like this one's easy to call, but <laughs> fights never play out, you know, uh, how, how they look on paper. And what this seems to me is that either Joe Lozon's going to go out here and stop him in the first round, or Joe Lozon's going to exert a lot of energy in that first round, gas out, and get grinded out the last two. We know who's got the better cardio here. guida has got the better cardio but Lozon can put dudes away in that first. If he doesn't, though, historically, and this is, you know, not just recent days, all the way back to you know his Something early happening. days, if you can get past that first round with Lozon, it's not the fact that Lozon has, you know, a questionable heart or anything like that. I don't think that's the case. It's just that he puts so much effort in trying to finish you in that first round that he has nothing left the last two. So my question here, Shaq, is is he gonna get, is he gonna put Guido away in the first round or is he gonna get gas out and get grinded, get hugged? Man, I'm going to go with Guida in this one, man.
1: You know, Guida, uh, you know, his last fight with Eric Koch, I thought Koch was going to, you know, left left body kick him, left high. And I thought it was going to be an easy fight for Coke to get back on uh, to get another win, but uh, Guido went out there and showed that uh, that training at Team Alpha Mel has slightly been paying off. You know, the Ortega fight, he looked better than he has in a while, even though we know what happened in that one. But uh, he did show a little bit of improvement with his boxing. And you know, like we said with Lozon, I mean, we're talking about a guy that exert goes so hard in round one. He, he reminds me a lot of Benil Darujs, so hard in round one, and then the next two and the the next two rounds, I mean, hands down, chin up huffing and puffing and uh you know I think Guida's gonna take advantage of that man I think Guida we know Guida can push three hard rounds we're talking about a guy that got that broke RDA's jaw that he made RDA get a titanium plate in his face you know what I'm saying he beat Pettis he beat Eric Koch he beat Nate Diaz I mean the guy's got uh a, a lot of good wins and you know Lozon one of the best to ever do it both these guys are two of the best to ever do it. But uh, like we said, I, f- I feel like this fight is that simple, man. I feel like if Guida can, you know, avoid the guillotine in round one, avoid the, the submission game, avoid getting knocked out, that he will run away with this in rounds two and three by, you know, tying him up, you know, uh, diving on double legs against the cage, you know, killing clock, throwing the occasional, you know, back elbow from the fence. And uh, I think uh, Guida is going to win a 29-28 decision
0: here. Yeah, I can totally see that as well. And just to be a contrarian, I'm going to go with Lozon by first round stoppage here. Look, if he doesn't get that first round stoppage, we know what's going to happen. Clay Guida going to hump his leg. The crowd's going to boo. It's going to be boring as fuck. He's going to grind out Joe Lozon. But I think that Guida. I think we faded Guida against Coke for a reason. Coke was just simply not good enough. Coke, you know, we overrated Coke a little bit. But I think we were. I think we had the right mindset fading Guida, and I think that Lozon can come out here and stop him in the first round. Look, he almost stopped. Stevie Ray's last fight, and you know what happened? He gassed out, and you saw. He lost to Marcin Held. <laughs> he, oh, man. And he
1: admitted that he lost to Marcin Held. And you know man. what happened?
0: First round, balls to the wall. Sec two and three, Marcin straight up out grappled him. Man, when you lose to Marcin Held, now, now I don't even feel like being contrarian anymore. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I, I'm going to look, I don't got any money on the line. This is just for fun. I, I, I'm going to say Lozon stops him in the first round. But if he doesn't, you know what the fuck's going to happen. Now, next up, this one is interesting, man. We got John the Magician Dodson. He's minus 115, and Marlon Morais is minus 105. Now, I'm not a fan of John Dodson. You know, I'm not a fan of people that, uh, you know, some someone that wears uh, pajamas in public and dresses like a five-year-old. I, I can't relate to that in any way, shape, or form. But when we're picking fights, none of that shit matters. And you know what? John Dodson's actually a very skilled guy. In the octagon, the only people to ever beat him are Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson and John Lineker. He's got unbelievable speed, and he's taken on Marlon Marais. His back's up against the wall. He was coming off a massive win streak. He lost to Rafael Esuncao in his UFC debut. Now he badly needs a win. They think this is an easy fight, but uh, as we've learned in the past, John Donson's not an easy fight for anyone. John Dodson is a very skilled guy great movement cardio to you know push the pace for three
1: rounds or whether it be five rounds and uh he's has a big speed advantage in this fight you know Marlon Moraes' right kick is serious I mean if his right kick catches you on the chin anyone can go out but at the same time I feel like him trading punches inside the pocket I feel like he's very slow and you know a lot of people think that he beat Rafael Asensio on his debut and uh oh, I think yeah. and I think you're mistaken you know what I'm saying um this that's that's the way Rafael Asensio fights you know what I'm saying Rafael tends to fight down to his opponent's level at times. And uh, and Rafael just, you know, played his game and won a decision. And, uh, you know, where Rafael capitalized was landing big shots inside the pocket and wobbling Marais a couple times. And, And, you know, Marais, look... Great champion in a World Series of Fighting. Big wins over, you know, Shaman Marais, Miguel Torres. Great career. and uh, But, you know, now I feel like he's going to start facing adversity inside that UFC cage. This ain't World Series of Fighting anymore. You're not fighting Josh Reddinghouse anymore. You're not fighting Josh Shill anymore. You're not fighting, you know, a 21-year-old Shaman Marais anymore. I think Dotson's going to take this one, and I actually think he's going to stop him. You know, I think uh, at some point Marais is going to get frustrated with Dotson running away, expose himself, expose his chin, and I feel like Dotson's going to catch him with a straight left, a high kick, uh, and just wobble him and finish him off. Uh, But uh, you know, I'm passing on this fight. You know, if Dotson was the dog, I would play it just because I feel like Dotson frustrates a lot of guys. I feel like Dotson's got that good game to win a decision, that game that you know. He eats shots so well. He absorbs shots really well. He he rolls with the punches, and he's always circling. He's always looking to weasel out a decision. And you got to have good weasels on your team in this betting game, man. And i got my good core of weasels. And uh, I think uh, Dodson's going to weasel out a decision here, but I wouldn't be shocked
0: if he stopped him. So is he going to stop him, or is he going to weasel? Uh, Stop him. So, like I said, I'm not a John Dodson fan, but none of that matters when you're picking fights. I hope Marlon Moraes goes out here and whoops John Dodson's ass. That'd be beautiful to watch. You know, his kick is fucking serious. Like Shaq mentioned, that right kick, that hits you on the on the temple, on the chin. You're going down. And also, he can break dudes down with a leg kick. So if Marlon wants to win this fight, he needs to start firing that leg kick off the bat, get the movement of John Dodson to slow down a bit. However, if he's not able to do that, he's going to get picked apart. For three straight rounds. And it's not going to be the kind of picked apart where, you know, you get his head popped back consistently with jabs. I just mean that John Dodson's going to circle around that cage. And when it's time to blitz, it's time to blitz. That John Dodson blitz, not a lot of people stop it. You don't really understand what it's like going with a flyweight because, I mean, the speed they operate on is just – on a completely different level the only reason this dude moved up to 35 is because he can beat every single guy at 25 except the champ Demetrius he had two chances so he's like look I can't beat this guy I'm just going to go up and beat all the guys at 135 and that's exactly what he's been doing you saw his fight against the former champ Eddie Wineland now I know Marlon's got you know more left in the tank than Wineland does but that being said man the speed difference is it's truly something to behold here it's it's going to be a big factor in this fight and uh, if Dodson was the dog I'd bet him, but I think they got it right on this one. He's a slight favorite. I think he comes out here and wins a decision. But look, Marlon, uh, I'm a fan, but he is a little bit chinny, man. You know, we've been watching his fights, not just in World Series of Fighting. We went back, we watched his shooto fights. You know, we watched his fights in that fucking gym in Brazil. You know what I'm saying? The dude is, uh, he's been getting rocked for a long time. Let's just put it like that, okay? And Dawson goes in there with one of those blitzes. Do not be surprised if Marlon goes down. That being said, it would be cool to see a Marlon head kick, slow him down with the leg kicks. I just don't see it happening. I think the skill, the the UFC high-level experience is too much. I see Dodson coming out here and winning a decision. Now, next up, also in the bantamweight division, we got Rafael Assuncao. He's minus 335, and the comeback on Matthew Lopez is plus 275. Now, before the Lions came out, I was thinking they might actually disrespect Rafael, but turns out they got it right, and Rafael is the rightful favorite. Yeah, man. Rafael Assuncao. Man, this guy,
1: he's only lost like one fight within the last, how many years? Like four or five years, only to TJ Dillashaw coming off a two-year layoff. And you know, now I feel like Rafael, you know, he was struggling to get back in that rhythm, you know, with all those injuries. I mean, the guy was injured like every other day. And now I feel like he's getting back into that rhythm. And you know, Lopez, great wrestling, you know, his uh, debut with Hani didn't go his way, but I felt like he showed he showed some good things against honey but he just blew himself out, and, you know, he came back against uh, Mitch Gagnon and just put it on him, you know, after getting dropped in that first round, that wrestling was just too much for Gagnon, and then, you know, that wrestling was just too much for Johnny Eduardo, but notice those two names I said, Mitch Gagnon, who I think is come on his way out, in my opinion, you know, that Hindenburg-Ralph fight literally took everything out of him, he Tried so hard, and Henan didn't try hard, and he still finished him. And then you know, uh, Johnny Eduardo, he's definitely on his way out. Props to Johnny, man. That KO of Eddie Wineland was amazing. But uh, you know, I I don't think Lopez is ready, man. I feel like the Sun Tows game is just too solid everywhere. If Lopez is thinking he's gonna come out here and just take Rafael down, he's got another thing coming. That's not that's not happening. And you know, my thing with Rafael is when you get into business with Rafael, you gotta know what you're getting into, man. I, you know, Rafael likes to likes to likes, he likes to spar out there, he likes to be pretty, he likes to, you know, he's gonna be like a, a Strickland a Strickland situation. Where you're gonna be like, come on, Rafael, we need a little bit more. We need a little bit more. But I think he will get the job done. At the worst case scenario, Rafael might fight down a Lopez's uh, level and, you know, fight to a split decision, but I do think he gets his hand raised. I don't think Lopez is ready. I think Lopez has too many openings on the feet. I feel like he squares his stance a lot, and I feel like Rafael's the guy to take advantage of that. Now, look, Rafael is getting into a rhythm now. Rafael's the number four bantamweight, uh, bantamweight in the world. Now, look, I talked to Rafael Assunta maybe a month or two ago at the local fights here, and, you know, he was pushing for that Cruz fight. He didn't want anything else besides Cruz. And the fact that he had to take the Lopez fight, maybe maybe he comes in here unmotivated. But the thing is, I think his skills are just too much. I mean, Rafael's one of the most well-rounded guys in the game. I mean, he had a streak at one point where he didn't get hit more than 30 times in a fight for a long time. He's one of the most le- least hit guys in this division. And, uh... I feel like this fight is going to go similar to the Caraway fight. I feel like, you know, Lopez is going to bite down. He's going to, he's going to come at Rafael. He's going to try to take him down, but I, I just don't think it's going to work like Rafael did against Caraway. A similar style like Lopez, you know, good wrestling, good top game. Um, I just think that uh, it's not going to work. I feel like he's going to have several failed attempts. He's going to make a, a mistake on the feet, eat a, a, a check knee, a right hand, and a wobble. And a Sun will win a, a lackluster decision.
0: You know, I think people uh, often forget Rafael Asuncao's resume. I mean, this is one of the most underrated guys at 135 pounds. Wins over the current champ, TJ Dillashaw. Wins over Pedro Munoz, Brian Caraway, Marlon Moraes, Johnny Eduardo. I mean, the guy's resume is truly unbelievable, and it's not just the names on paper, it's the way he fights too. Now, I know for the casual eye, the casual fan, you know, you might you might think it's kind of boring or whatever, but for guys that really know what they're watching, I mean, this guy is truly one of the most skilled in that division, and no one walks through Rafael Sonsai. I know at 145 pounds, you know, he got KO'd by but that was the wrong weight class. And also, let me also mention that uh, Rafael has a win over Jorge Masvidal. A lot, a lot of people don't know that shit. Angelo's on. Angelo's on, okay? Like, this dude's been around the block for a very long time. You know, obviously, we're a little biased when we talk about Rafael. He's one of Atlanta's best fighters. He's represented our scene for a long time, he's a perennial top five guy for the longest time. So, we always want to see him do well. In this matchup, look, Matthew Lopez is a tough kid, man. I gotta give him a lot of respect. He went out there. He didn't just beat Johnny Eduardo. He finished Johnny Eduardo, and he battled back from adversity against Mitch Gagnon. Even in the debut, man, he took it on short notice. He looked great with Hanya. He just blew himself out, had nothing left, and he got tapped out by a superior, a superior jiu-jitsu guy. I think this fight, we're gonna see the, be- the best Matthew Lopez we've ever seen. I just simply don't think it'll be enough to beat Rafael Asuncao, and I think the kick counters is gonna be big weapons for Rafael. I think the sprawl Literally, his takedown defense is going to be on point. Obviously, he's going to counter with that big left hook, the right hand. And I I think uh, he can either bust up. Matthew Lopez to a 30-27, or potentially get his first finish since Issei Tamora. Do not be surprised if Rafael Asunsao finishes this fight. You know, I know his last few fights have all been contested on the feet, but don't forget that this guy's a world-class black belt as well. So, you know, Matthew Lopez tries to test that wrestling. He might have another thing coming when he gets dark chokes. So I- I'm going to go with uh, Rafael Asunca by unanimous decision, but do not be surprised if he gets his first finish in a long time. Now middleweight division, we got Cesar Mutanchi Ferreira. He's minus two eighty and the comeback on Nate, not so great. Marcourt is plus two forty. What are you thinking? Man, I feel
1: bad for Nate Marcourt because uh he got straight. I hate saying guys get robbed, but I mean between you and me, he beat Vitor Belfort two rounds to one. And uh, you know, and those those uh those Brazilian weasels, uh, they uh, did what they're known for. I feel bad for Jared Brooks, by the way. Oh, shout, my God. Shout out to Jared Brooks because, uh, you know, those Brazilian weasels uh, took a win from him. And uh, that's what happened it to Nate. Took Neymar. a win and
0: took a back mount from him yeah, as exactly. well. Yeah, exactly.
1: And, uh, you know, that's what happened to Nate Neymar in his last fight. And, you know, Cesar Ferreira, Cesar Ferreira turned the corner a little bit. You know, till this day, I still think he beat Elias Theodoro. I know it was close, but I still think he won that fight. And, uh, man, you know, he, this guy... You remember when he got knocked out by CB Dalloway, knocked out by Alvey, knocked out by Jorge Masvidal. I mean, this guy was the laughing stock of the division. And you know, now he goes back up to one eighty five and now it feels like he's uh worked around his uh his chin, uh his chin issues was like uh my boy Alistair over him. Now he's you know, he's having the shell game right. Now he's, you know, circling off, you know, a guy that subbed her manson. you know, uh and I feel like he's uh he's uh, figuring things out, you know, I feel like Neymar Kord, he might get discouraged a little bit easily, I know who has the advantage on the mat, but look, I can't touch this fight, because like, the chin is the chin, and if you get clipped, and you get flash KO'd, happens, and Marquard is known for flash KOs, and you know, I'm gonna go with Cesar on this one, if anyone took that shot on Marquard, just know what you're getting into, you you, you know what, at the stage of uh, Marquard's career, what type of fight you're getting into, I mean, the guy, I'm sure he's making six figs to show, you know what I'm saying? One of these days, he's just going to legit show up to get a check and, uh, you know, look for his way out. But uh, anyone taking that shot on Marquardt, I don't blame you at all. Plus 240 is way off, in my opinion. I think it should be plus 140, if anything. And uh, But I do think Cesar will pull this one out. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to actually say a finish. Um,
0: but uh, I'm passing on this fight. It's either dog or pass, but I'm going to go with uh, Mutanch. Mutanchi should win this fight. He's the younger, fresher guy. He's bigger. He's more athletic. He's got the momentum. But I think a lot of people forgot that the dude's chin is, uh, is not there. You know, Just because he worked around it against a couple jobbers his last few fights doesn't mean that that problem has been fixed because you know the deal with the chin. It never recovers, man. And with Marquardt, I know he's losing decisions to Sam Alvey. I know he's looking the worst he's ever looked in his career. You remember the, the quit job against uh, Kelvin? which you know, Kelvin's the better fighter, but you, you saw that shit, right? But uh, look, man, the long-term battle is going to be won by Cesar Mutanchi, but I actually think that Marco can come out here and catch him. I really do. I, I think he can come out here and remind people that, look, Mutanchi isn't this contender that you guys think he is just because he won a couple fights. He still has that terrible chin. He's still the guy that got launched halfway across the octagon by Sam Alvey. And I think Marco can remind people with that big overhand right in this spot. And it's just you got to be careful because there is a speed difference. There is an athleticism difference. There is a size difference. There is a confidence difference. And all those factors do belong to Cesar Mutanchi. That's why I said he'd win the long-term battle. But... I think he's going to get caught in this one, man. I think it's going to remind people that, oh, yeah, this dude is chinny as fuck, and uh, we shouldn't be getting invested in him, and you know, we shouldn't be getting into business with him. But also, you shouldn't be getting into business with Nate Marquardt because, I mean, that dude, he's completely—he's on the way out completely. The only thing he's got is a puncher's chance, but a puncher's chance goes a long way with the chin of I mean, mutage.
1: I remember I, uh, the night the RDA Cerrone 2 card, I mean, I parlayed uh, – I had CB back in my jobber days uh, – I had uh, C.B. Dalloway in about three, four pales because, you know, Marquardt was coming off the the Kelvin fight, which was just, you know, his corner wanted to throw in the towel because he got beat, got his face beat in so much. And I'm thinking, you know, is just going to touch him with one punch and it's going to be over. And look, Dalloway rocked him in the first round. And then guess what? Second round, Dalloway comes in charging and Nate puts him out on his ass. Then the Tandon McCrory fight, that finish was disgusting. I mean, he KO'd
0: Tandon stiff. And uh, don't be surprised if that happens here. Yeah, and also, a lot of people forget that. Markor never leaves. That's true. But markor he's a legit black belt. He's a black belt under Master Hicardo Mergel. And if people don't know who that is, you know, former former knuckle-up instructor, I don't train at that place no more, but I know exactly who this guy is. And he's one of the only red belts on planet Earth. You know what I'm saying? Like... Past an eighth degree black belt, you know. There's only ten red belts on planet Earth. He's one of them. He gave Nate Marquardt his black belt. If this hits the mat, don't just assume that Mutanchi ha- has a huge advantage. You know what I'm saying? So, Mutanchi's got to mind his p's and q's here. That's that's all I gotta say about that. Here we go. Heavyweight division, junior baby Albini. He's minus two seventy, and Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky is plus two thirty. And man, Arlovski's coming off five losses in a row. Is this gonna be the sixth? You know, this is
1: – remember, I've, I've said in the past on the show that, you know, in the heavyweight division, sometimes when everyone thinks a guy's done, he ends up pulling off a, a win to remind everyone that he's not. Like, for example, Mark Hunt against Black Beast a, a couple months ago. Or, uh, I mean, we can we can think about it.
0: if we. Uh, what about this? Arlovsky was on a five-fight losing streak, and then he turned it around, and now he's back on another losing exactly.
1: streak. Exactly. So, I mean, look – that's why I'm staying away from this fight, I do, I, but me personally, I think Albini's the real deal, I mean, his striking is serious, you know, he trains, uh, at the same Brazilian gym that, uh, you know, produced Darren Till, well, not produced Darren Till, but, you know, where Darren Till was training at, and I mean, his striking is serious, and if you watch that Tim Johnson fight, he had Tim Johnson on the ropes from the bell, from the first punch he landed, and I mean, just his flow, man, is his calmness inside the pocket, and I think, uh, I think Arlovsky is done. Look, Arlovsky's had a great career. I mean, the run that he had when he came back to the UFC was incredible. I mean, how could you not like that when he finished Travis Brown, you know, in, uh, in front of Ronda Rousey. Um, <laughs> I love <laughs> it when <anyone> finishes Travis <laughs> yeah, Brown. Right? You know what I'm saying? So in front of Ronda Rousey. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, think Arlovsky is done. I think Albini's calmness and comfortability inside the pocket is just going to be too much for Arlowski. Anytime Arlowski gets touched early, we know what happens. I mean, this is a guy i faded that I'm willing to, in the past, I've been willing to play this price against Arlowski, like when he fought Overeem or uh, when he fought Stipe or, you know what I'm saying? I've been willing to play this price, but I'm not going to do it here just because I'm confident. i'm I'm trying to chill i'm trying to go to the underdogs for this card i feel like that's the right approach for this card but uh i think albini's gonna put him down inside one our had a great career
0: but i actually think albini's the real deal i'm with you on this one man look junior albini made some waves in that ufc debut i mean it's one thing to beat tim johnson it's another thing to stop him and it's yet another thing to stop him in the first round within the first three minutes i mean he went out there he whooped tim johnson's ass from the bell. tim johnson's a guy that beat Marcin and you know what i'm saying and Speaking of Marcin Tibora, I max bet him to beat Arlovsky in his last fight, and Arlovsky made me sweat that one. You know, Tibora gasses out after the first round. Arlovsky comes back in the second, but Arlovsky simply didn't have enough in the third, and he lost that fight. In this spot, though, like you mentioned, the striking of uh, Junior Albini is legit, man. I mean, he trains that Astra fight team, Dare until Gleico Franza. He's got great people with him, and that body kick is serious, man. When he starts getting off on that body kick, those knees in the clinch, that left hook, He's very aware in the pocket. He moves his head. His footwork is on point, especially for a heavyweight. You don't often see heavyweights with that kind of footwork. Like you said, his economy of motion when he's out there striking. It's really beautiful, and I think that in this spot, he's going to go out here and get a big first-round knockout and get the biggest win of his career beat the former champion. And uh, it's going to be sad for Arlovsky, but look, this is the fight game. You keep fighting long enough, this kind of shit's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Like we mentioned earlier, Arlovsky was on that five-fight losing streak or four, whatever it was, and then he resurrected his career. Now he's back on another skid, but there's only so many times you can resurrect your career. I, I think it's finally over, and uh, Junior Albini is going to win by knockout. And my hat's off to Arlovsky. He had an unbelievable career. He's a pioneer. He's a legend. Thank you for all the amazing fights you gave us, Andre. Right now is simply Junior's time. Co-main event of the evening. I'm excited about this one, Shaq. Matt the Immortal Brown. is 360. The comeback on Diego the Nightmare Sanchez is plus 300. Now, I favor Matt Brown. I don't know if I favor him minus 360. But, you know, I, I, I do like Matt Brown in this spot. What are you thinking? Line's
1: way off. I'll just tell you that right now. Look, <laughs> Matt Brown... Got finished by Jake Ellenberger. Now look, I don't like MMA math, but we know the deal with Matt Brown. One of the best to ever do it. One of the 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 technical brawler. You know what I'm saying? The guy that used to fight technical while in the midst of being in a brawl. And uh, you know, man, minus three sixty is just off to me because look, the guy's lost what five of his last six, or
0: maybe even six, six, of
1: of, maybe even six of seven. I I don't know the exact number. But, you know, Diego Sanchez is also on his way out, you know, getting knocked out by Aikensel, getting finished by Lozon. But he beat Marcin Held. <laughs> and uh, that's a huge win. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he's coming up to 170. Matt's got a big size advantage for one. But, you know, at this stage of my career, you know, allegedly it's his farewell fight, but I've heard him say that maybe it's not. And I Well, I'll tell you right now, it needs to be. And, uh, you know, look, Matt Brown should win this fight. But the thing is, Look, I don't know. I don't know the state of his mindset right now. I know it's his farewell fight. I, I would. I would assume that he wants to come out here, put on a great finish for the fans in his farewell fight. But the thing is, look, when you get hit in that body, we don't know what's gonna happen. If you're laying that price on Matt Brown, Diego Sanchez does throw a body kick. You know what I'm saying? And you know he ate the body kicks fine against Cerrone, but look, he's in. History shows that long term, you hitting this guy in the body, he will take knees. He will not find his way out, but his body will shut off, and, uh, you know, I think he does have a big size advantage, I think he should bust Diego up inside the clinch, I mean, Diego's on his way out, look, at one point, Diego had lost, if we're being honest, had lost, like, six in a row, you know what I'm saying, and, uh, but look, this is a fight I want no part of, I'm gonna sit back and enjoy it, I'm hoping Matt Brown comes out here and gets the, the, the uh, finish, but I, I, I don't understand why everyone's just laying, parlaying Matt Brown, I mean, knowing this guy's history, but look, he should come out here and get the win, but do not be shocked if Diego puts him away.
0: Look, Matt Brown's one of my all-time favorite fighters. Obviously, I'm not laying a minus 360 price, so you know, I'm not going to give too much technical analysis. I just want to be a fan on this one, man. I mean, Matt Brown's farewell fight. He's taking on the original ultimate fighter, Diego Sanchez. It's going to be a lot of fun while it lasts. You know, with Diego, man, I'm surprised he's lasted this long. Like I said, the original ultimate fighter. He won season one of The Ultimate Fighter, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, geez, he's been around the game a long fucking time. And, you know, he's moving up away class again. You know, he's been at 170 many times. You remember when he fought Martin Campman? Uh, and that was a bullshit decision, but it was an incredible fight. You remember when he fought Paulo Thiago. So he's had success. You remember when he fought Jake Ellenberg? He's had success at 170, but now he's coming back here and it's more of a... I don't want to say desperation or anything like that because the dude could fight a 55 if he really wanted to. But it's more of like, you know, he doesn't want to cut the way anymore. He's had enough. He had a great run. Diego Sant, both of these guys in my book are UFC Hall of Famers. And much respect to both of them. Like you said, the size advantage of Matt Brown is a big thing. And I know... Historically, he's been weak to the body, but that last fight against Cerrone, he—they were blasting each other in the body over and over because they're both notoriously weak there, and they ate it fine. It was just, you know, finally a head kick put him down. But up until that point, man, he dropped Cerrone. He almost got him in a triangle. He took down Cerrone. He was a uh, him and Cerrone had an honest knock. <laughs> just put it that way. And I'm not convinced that Diego Sanchez is as durable as he once was. Not neither guy is, if, if we're being honest. But I still think that. Matt Brown has slightly more. I think the size is going to be a big factor. And in the clinch, he's going to rip elbows. He's going to rip knees. I think he's going to put Diego down in one. Obviously, you got to be careful. Diego's a vet. Diego throws that body kick. Diego knows how to win bullshit decisions. But you don't often see Matt Brown go out there and lose split decisions. You know what I mean? When Matt Brown loses, he gets submitted or he gets body kicked. And I don't see that happening here. I see Matt Brown putting on a blitz, putting on an epic performance in his farewell fight. And stopping the legend, Diego Sanchez. So Matt Brown for a victory, and I hope he walks away with his hand raised. Main event of the evening, Anthony Showtime Pettis. He's minus 125. The comeback on Dustin the Diamond Poirier is plus 105. Two legends of the sport. They're going to throw down. What do you think is going to happen? Man, this is a... uh
1: the fight, like we said earlier, would have been a classic in the WEC. And, you know, when Poye got signed to the WEC, I'm pretty sure Pettis was probably already champion or right on the verge of being champion. So, Pettis has been in this game for a long time. And, you know, Pettis, you know, that Gilbert Melendez fight, uh, UFC 181, I I believe it was. Um, Look, the performance wasn't that great. I know he, uh, I feel like Gil was just we should have seen Gil was uh, on his way out a long time ago, and, you know, Pettis got the job done, but then, you know, I predicted that he would lose to Rafael Dos Anjos, and he got beat in a way that was just so demoralizing. When you get beat on the feet, you get beat in the wrestling, you get completely dominated from bell to bell, and I feel like he's never been able to really recover. Um, That doesn't mean the guy can't strike. I mean, he's still a great striker. He's still got amazing kicks. But I feel like ever since then, you know, after the Rafael fight, he fought Eddie Alvarez and the same issues. He couldn't get his back off the fence. Eddie was actually boxing him up at times. It's not like Eddie got like outstruck or anything. You know what I'm saying? Um, Yeah, Showtime landed a few kicks, but uh, same issues. No involvement in his game. Then, you know, he goes out there and Edson, which I also bet on Edson and uh, Edson. If him, if, if him and Edson get to a kicking contest 10 out of 10 times, Edson's going to win. And uh, I feel like that was just a bad matchup for him. So I'll excuse him from that. But then, you know, he uh, drops a 145 against Charles Oliveira. And I mean, my God, I mean, I know the weight cut might have been the, the main issue here, but look. Some of the exchanges on the feet, I mean, they were trading real sloppy, and Pettis had his hands on a lot, chin up in the air, but, you know, he could always rely on that body kick, because Charles is another guy that's weak to the body, so that could always bail him out of trouble, but look, his jujitsu was on point, he choked out one of the best jiu-jitsu players in the division, but unfortunately, that jiu-jitsu player gets choked out a lot, you know what I'm saying, um, <laughs> and, you know, then he goes against Holloway, and I mean... Gets broken down in another demoralizing way where you know that finish was just disgusting. And Pettis had to take a seat, man. You know, when guys take that seat in the cage, like how Martin Kamen did against uh against Martin. Condit, um, or yeah, Marty took a seat twice, well. Huh? and then uh, but you know what I'm saying, yeah, he yeah you know, um that seat, when you take that seat, man, it's a, it's a, it's an alarming thing, you know, but then he comes back up to 55 and fights Jim Miller, and now, look, Jim Miller's one of the best to ever do it, the most wins in lightweight history, but look, Jim Miller's on his way out, he just told his corner the other day that he doesn't have it anymore, and, uh, you know, I feel like that was a fight where Showtime just felt confident, you know, that he could just style on Jim, and Jim would feel it, Jim would feel the shots, and that Jim's a little, you know, getting up there in age, and that he could style on Jim, but now, look, my thing with Dustin Poirier is, Anytime Dustin Poi hits someone, they get rocked. They feel it. They uh I mean, name one guy, I mean the guy knocked out McGregor's tooth. I know he uh he McGregor knocked him out, but he did knock out his tooth. Anytime this guy puts his fist on your face, you get rocked, you feel it, and you uh you go circling off. And I feel like, you know, in the past, yes, Dustin has been successful to getting uh, rocked. Yes, of course back in his days at Featherweight he used to get rocked in every single fight just about. But look, now since he's back up at fifty five, look, I know he got knocked out by Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson has some of the best wins at one fifty five and Michael Johnson's back was against the wall that fight. And I'll tell you right now, Showtime ain't throwing big counter hooks like that inside the pocket. And uh, you know, I think that Dustin is more susceptible to guys that have, you know, big power punches that could catch him and hurt him. But Pettus doesn't have that. Pettis is a kicker. Pettus likes it you know, throw soft hands to set up the big kicks. And I don't even think his kick's the same anymore. I feel like Pettis is on the decline. Look, people, you know, are just assuming that Dustin's going to get knocked out here and, you know, this and that, that he's chinny. Okay, yeah, so what he's chinny. Everyone's chinny. You know what I'm saying? But the thing is, I think this is actually a very good fight for Dustin. I feel like the sloppy trading inside the pocket is actually going to be a good thing for Dustin because Pettis keeps his hand out Keeps his hands out like uh like John Jones a little bit like hands out here, and I mean in tight. Dustin's an animal in tight, bro. The one two's in tight in tight like he did against his teammate Eric Coke, and then come back up with the right hook. <laughs> I feel like it's gonna be a big weapon here. And not to mention that we can uh, take him down. Dustin Dustin does have to be uh, aware of Anthony Pettis Anthony Pettis's guard. His guard is disgusting. You know he still got you know good stuff off his back, but I think this is gonna be the first time in Pettis's career where he might truly get flatlined here, where he might truly get knocked out because that performance that Dustin had against Eddie Alvarez, you know, initially I was under the speculation that Dustin might have found his way out of that fight, but then when I rewatched it, that was the best performance of Dustin Poirier's career. That first round, that was the most calm I've ever seen him. Generally, Dustin Poya gets carried away right off the bat. Dustin Poirier starts biting down. He wants to slug right away. And it's like, oh, God, Dustin, easy, easy, easy. And, you know, that fight, he actually blocked the shots. He had his guard up. He was blocking uh, Eddie Alvarez's head kicks you know rolling with the punches and he looked amazing he was using that body kick and then that counter left hand he uh landed in that second round was just absolutely disgusting i mean that delayed reaction of eddie when he tried to move and he wobbled was just beautiful and look the heart of eddie alvarez cannot be mentioned a lot of other guys you cannot be questioned the uh the uh the heart of Eddie Alvarez is just insane. And, you know, a lot of guys would have went down to that. I have no doubt in my mind. And, uh, you know, Dustin, uh, you know, he got carried away for a bit for a second and he was absorbed. He wasn't rocked at all. Like he wasn't rocked at all. Eddie did not rock him. He was just, you know, taking a little break, you know, he had to shield up and then Eddie took him down and he worked his way back up to his feet. And then Eddie uh, decided to uh, knee him in the head. I feel like Eddie was in was in survival mode at that time. I feel like he was just in barbaric mode, and he he slipped up here. I think Eddie Alvarez is a great guy. I don't want to say he purposely did it, but he he kind of did. He but was in the middle of yeah. It was in middle. It was it was it was just straight street fight at that time, and um, but I do think that was the best performance of uh, Poye's career. And uh, like I said, I think Pettis is on the decline. I mean, when's the last time he's truly looked good against you know a legit guy? From start to finish,
0: the Benson fight, the
1: Benson fight, usc <laughs> one sixty four, and you know I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that because Pettis is a tough guy, It's hard. He's got a, a a great chin, but like I said, anybody that Poirier hits will feel it. And you know, I feel like maybe they went into the mindset of this fight thinking that Poirier was an easy fight that you know they they, they were going to knock him out. And everyone at lightweight thinks when they fight Dustin Poirier that they're going to knock him out. You remember when Carlos Diego decided, hey, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go in here and bang with Poirier because I think I'm going to knock him out. I think he's chinny. It's like big. And, and, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, and I don't think Dustin's chinny at all. I feel like he just gets carried away a bit, and he, he likes to trade sloppy. And that's just the type of fighter he is. He's always going to be that fighter. But I feel like his last fight was the best i ever seen him by far, man. I feel like that was the that was the performance of his career, and hopefully we get past by this. I did put two units on Poirier, plus 105, two to win 2.1%. <laughs> And uh, I think he's going to get the job here. I think uh, he's going to stalk Pettis. I think he wants this more than Pettis. I think he's been training harder than Pettis. I'm willing to say that right now. I feel like he wants this more. And I feel like Pettis is talking in past tense. When I was champion, when I used to be champion. I'm trying to get back to when I was champion. You know what I'm saying? While is on the up. Poye, at least, you know, he had that good streak at 155. But now he's, uh, now he's, uh. We're talking about a guy that put Carlos Diego down. Who, who else has put Carlos Diego down? Who else put saying? Bobby Green down? Who put Bobby Green down at the time? You know what I'm saying? Thirty twenty six. Yeah, Joe exactly. Duffy. Exactly. Thirty twenty six. Joe Duffy. I mean, the caliber of fighter that Dustin Poirier is on.
0: KO on,
1: and one. KO and one. You know what I'm saying? And we saw the heart of Nancy Maderos. You know what I'm saying? Um... Against Trinado, and uh, I just think that he's gonna he's gonna do this. I feel like this. I know his history and main events haven't been good, but so what. This is a fight. This is a fist fight, and I think uh, Pettis is gonna uh, eat some big shots here. I think uh, Poire is gonna put it on him. I feel like he's gonna stand his face, and like I said, he simply wants this
0: more. Man, so when Pettis was in the WEC, the guy was a fucking innovator. He was a pioneer. Some of the shit that he would do was like unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not just talking about jumping off the cage and, you know, kicking Benson Henderson's head into the fifth row. I'm also talking about that Shane Roller fight. He's doing capoeira moves in there. He's submitting wrestlers. Like, I'm like, this guy, he's the future. I really thought that he was going to be the next Anderson Silva. So he was ahead of everyone at that point. But the issue was he never evolved, and then everyone caught up to his level, and he still didn't evolve, and then everyone surpassed him. And he still kind of stayed on that level, and he just hasn't really evolved at all. Ever since, man, he, you know, he still does the same stuff that he's always done, and it doesn't work anymore. It's 2017 now, man. It's almost 2018. You know, you got to evolve your game. Someone that has been evolving their game is Dustin Poirier. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now, Shaq, because, firstly, he was a perennial top five guy at featherweight, but when he moved up to lightweight. The run he's on at lightweight. I mean, what, 6-1 and one at lightweight? He's looking unbelievable every fight. I know he had that setback against Michael Johnson, and you mentioned how Michael Johnson has some of the best wins at 155. Let me remind everyone. Michael Johnson has wins over the current interim champ, Tony Ferguson, wins over basically the number one contender, Edson Barbosa, and wins over Dustin Poirier. So Michael Johnson... Even though he's a 500 fighter, he's got some of the best wins in that division. And when
1: Michael shows up, he shows up.
0: His back was against the wall in that fight, and basically it was a style matchup thing. His hand speed in the pocket. We know Michael Johnson has serious hand speed in the Micah. pocket. And uh, when when Poirier has really lost fights, I know I excuse the Cub Swanson and the Korean zombie fight because that was a really long time ago, but let's talk about the McGregor and the Johnson losses because those were the two most recent ones. It was in the pocket where he got caught by a harder-hitting, faster puncher. That's what McGregor and Johnson are. That is not what Anthony Pettis is. Anthony Pettis needs his distance. He needs to be pretty out there. And look, if he can get uh, Dustin to just stare at him and stay on the outside and AP can just throw his kicks, okay, then awesome. Good job, Anthony. But you and I both know that ain't going to happen. Dustin's going to walk him down. He's going to land big punches, which he's known for. And he's going to land hard punches, man. AP is gonna feel this stuff, and AP gets hit a lot, man. Like people think that he's this elusive guy. No, he ain't, man. He's been getting hit for a long time. It's just the dudes that have been hitting him. You know, Gilbert Melendez. When, he's not known for his knockout power, and Gilbert was hitting him clean a lot. I guarantee you, when Dustin Poirier cracks that chin, do not be surprised if Anthony Pettis goes down. Now, look, we gotta watch out for the head kicks, but the kick ain't the same that it used to be. Look, I know a shin to the chin will put anyone down, but. The speed that the kicks come with, it's not what it used to be when he fought Benson Henderson. I mean, you watch that Benson Henderson fight, and AP's glowing out there, man. He looks like just his confidence can't be measured, man. Excuse me. His confidence can't be topped. No one can match him in that department, man. He just seemed like a superstar, like Anderson in his prime almost. But those days are long, long gone, and he hasn't looked good in a very long time. I mean, okay, we can excuse the RDA loss because we can say, look, RDA was the better fighter even though he whooped his ass. But what about the Eddie fight, man? You'd, you'd expect that Anthony Pettis would go out here and you know stop Eddie Alvarez, and Eddie's a very tough guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying in terms of where I perceived their skills to be at, I thought there was a big skill deficit. And it was Eddie who was out kicking Showtime, man. So I do think he's declined a lot. I think that, look, the guy's got so many things outside of the octagon. He owns his own gym. He owns his own barbershop. He owns his own sports bar. He's a former world champion in the UFC, a former world champion in the WC. He's got the number one highlight in the history of the sport. What else does Anthony Pettis need to accomplish, you know? He, He doesn't have the same hunger because he's already accomplished everything. Whereas Dustin Poirier... He wants to be the champ. He wakes up every single day, and he wants to be a world champion. He wants to give his family a better life. Look, AP already gave his family a better life. His his uh, daughter is set for life. His brother is set for life. But Dustin is still working on those things. He wants to secure his family's future and... That's what he's been doing with his two fists, man. I think that's what he's going to do on Saturday night. I think he's going to walk down Showtime Pettis, and I think he's going to land big punches in the pocket. I think he's going to turn it into the brawl that he likes, the brawl that he excels in, and I think that he's going to knock out Anthony Showtime Pettis, and it's going to be a holy shit moment because no one's ever seen Anthony truly get knocked out. I know he got stopped by Pettis, but, excuse me, he got stopped by Holloway, but he wasn't knocked out. You know, it was an accumulation, and he took a knee. This, I think, is actually going to be a a KO-KO. You know, I think he's going to be out and it's going to be like, wow, you know, the fight game is a real thing. No one's invincible. I just think this is Dustin's time. I think he's being counted out. I know it's a close line, but plus 105. Look, I was thinking Dustin should be the slight favorite, not not Anthony. So, look, I put two units on on Dustin. I think this is a good matchup for him. Once again, the guys that beat uh, the guys that beat Dustin Poirier are fast punchers in the in the pocket. That's not what AP is. AP is a kicker. He needs his distance. He needs to be pretty out there. Pretty fighters don't usually do good against Dustin Poirier. Now, not only do I think he can outstrike him in the pocket, I think that Dustin Poirier can get takedowns at the end of rounds and seal the rounds, kind of like he did against Joe Duffy, you know? And and people try to act like, you know, it was this back and forth war. Look, it was back and forth for the first three minutes, but after that, Poirier broke him down on the feet and then he took him down at will, busted him up on the ground and won the fight. And Joe Duffy is a very tough guy. I know our good friend James Vick just knocked him out in the second round, but don't think that Joe Duffy is a can because of that. Joe Duffy is a very tough guy. Joe Duffy finished McGregor in, in under thirty seconds, so don't forget about that. And you look at Dustin Poirier's resume. You look at the guys he's been putting away. Who puts away Anthony Medeiros? Who puts away Bobby Green? You know, and he was about to put away Eddie Alvarez, but you know, Eddie. Uh, listen, Eddie was in the middle of war. He was concussed, and he threw three big knees to the head of a down opponent, and it, it was what it was. It was an illegal move, but I mean. Also, how about the Jim Miller fight? He beat the shit out of Jim Miller. And he beat Jim Miller so bad to where Jim Miller had absolutely nothing left his next two fights against AP and uh, Trinaldo. So don't count out Dustin Poirier here. I'm absolutely not counting him out. In fact, I'm betting on him, like I said, two units plus 105. I think this is going to be the first time that Showtime Pettis gets knocked out. And uh, I hope he, he comes back. He will come back. He's a resilient dude. He's a pioneer. He's a legend. Much respect to Showtime. This is simply a business move. I think the Diamond's going to get it done, man. Now we got to talk about some of these prelims because we got Angela Hill. She's minus 200, and uh, Nina Androff is plus 170.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like Hill's progressively getting better. I mean, to where her game was at one point, you know, this is a chick that uh, in her second pro fight, she's in there with Carla Esparza, and, you know, she gets a win off the— against that chick Emily Kagan, but then they feed her right back up to the Wolves. She's got to go in there with Tisha Torres, who's one of the top five chick at 115, and then in there with a champion, Rose Namajunas. I mean, the chick got fed straight to the Wolves, and you know, she goes to Invicta, starts finishing chicks. She actually beat Livia Souza, who's one of the top prospects at 115, and she, you know, straight up outstruck her, straight up point fight, beautiful point fighting, you know, circled off. Yes, she did get taken down, but I mean, bro, every time she gets taken down now, she's working her way back up to her feet. And, you know, then she comes back to the UFC and they tell her, well, you got to fight Andrade. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure she's thinking, like, Jesus Christ, like, can I catch a fucking break here? Like, I fought Tisha Torres, uh, Rose Nami Yunus, uh Carla Sparza and Andrade. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? So, But then, you know, she gets that fight against on a, a chick that's on her level against Yoder, and she completely dominates her. And people are under the assumption that Yoder took her down three times. First of all, there were like half takedowns, like Hill would immediately get back up to her feet and reverse her and get in in Yoder's guard and then you know she ended up taking yoder down at one point and i mean she straight up you know circled off on the feet landed the occasional high kick jab you know head movement and you know ran circles around her and won a decision 30 27 on all cards and then you know and a lot of chicks don't know how to play that game a lot of chicks just come in here with the style like androv does let's just slug in the pocket and you know let's just test our toughness and that's not what hill's trying to do not too many chicks know how to use that game plan and you know androv a lot of people are under the assumption that she's a wrestler and she ain't no wrestler i'll tell you you that right now, she's a striker. She's a striker that likes to trade sloppy in the pocket, like against Justine Quiche. You know, Quiche is another chick who likes to trade sloppy in the pocket. And you know, her and Quiche had a little war, and Quiche won because she out hustled her. Quiche even took her down, so you know what I'm saying. So, people are under the assumption that Androv's gonna come in here and you know, wrestle. That's not what Androv does. Androv's a striker, she's the one that gets taken down. Quiche, you know, took her down with like a that basic ass uh, head and arm throw, and uh. You know, I think Hill's gonna do the same. I think Hill's gonna point fight here. I think she's gonna be on the circling on the outside, landing the more effective shots, making Androv get frustrated. You know, I, I'm assuming Androv's gonna after the fight gonna be like, "Oh, Angela Hill ran away from me. She <laughs> didn't want to fight me." And yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where she's gonna win the thirty twenty seven on two cards and a one twenty nine twenty eight and. You know, I'm looking for that right spot to bet Hill. You know, um, if more money, if it came down a little bit, maybe I'd consider it. But uh, I feel like Hill's actually going to be a, a player at 115. Not in the title picture, but I feel like she's going to beat a lot of chicks.
0: So we can both agree, Nina Ansroff's not the most technical. She's more of a brawler, right? She's a brawler. Okay, let me ask you a question. Who's a better brawler, Jessica Andraj or Nina Ansroff? Andraj. Exactly. And Angela Hill, even though she got 30-27, she held her own in that fight. Hey, I'll tell you right now, Hill did better than Khajig Gadelia. She did better than Calderwood. She did better than
1: Panay. She did better than. Uh, Rose will do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, she, she, she cut up Andrage bad, bro. Andrage, she dropped Andrage at one point. So, I mean, this chick's, like, her game is really solid. And ever since she moved to San Diego, training with Alliance, I mean, her game's just getting progressively better. And I feel like we're going to see the be- the next best version of Angela Hill.
0: So, uh, Angela Hill came into my old gym one time. And, uh, you know, we did a little light sparring. Look, I am an 180 pound male. So it was very light. But I'll tell you something, man. She hit me with one body shot. And, She hits hard, boy, you know what I'm saying, man? I was like, damn, son. And uh, I'm telling you that as an 180-pound male, if she can hit me in the body and make me feel it, I guarantee you, Nina Androff is going to feel it. I think it's going to be a 30-27 decision. I think she's going to hit and run, pick her apart, go out there, get that UD. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Big Marley, what's going on, man? Not much,
2: man. Off of uh, a second winning week in a row, so
0: ready to make it three. You know, Kyle, right when I think I have the sport figured out, we have three new champions. I mean, it it never ceases to amaze me how unpredictable and amazing the sport is. I
2: know, right? Best sport in the world.
0: It it truly is. I mean, out of the three title fights last week, and obviously we're going to get to this week's card here in a second, but out of the three title fights last week, which one surprised you the most in terms of the outcome?
2: Uh, same one as everybody else, man. JJ. Uh, I did honestly think it might have been her toughest fight just because I thought maybe Rose could have a submission game for her that we haven't seen yet. But, man, she got the knockout, and it was pretty fucking impressive. Uh, but I had uh, TJ and GSP winning before the card started, so I uh, I won a little bit of money on those guys.
0: There you go. Yeah, you did call TJ. I remember that. Good call, man. I, that, and That's the right. shit got hairy in that first round, too.
2: It did a little bit, yeah. I mean... Thank God I got saved by the bill.
0: <laughs> I wonder if they're going to run him back. I feel like that's one of those fights where if they fight ten times, it's going to be a different outcome every single time.
2: I mean, honestly, I'm I'm going with the stylistic matchup, and I'm just gonna I would have to take TJ every time. Um, but still, I, I don't think uh, a Cody play on DraftKings because I had I had a, a number of Cody lineups on DraftKings. I don't think those were bad plays because, like we saw, I mean, it could have been a first-round finish with all the points because he would have had all the strikes in the first round, plus the knockdown and first-round finish if it did happen. So, I mean, it was still a good play. I'm just taking that wrestling, uh, and I like TJ stand-up, so I would have to take it every time. Uh, but, yeah, I man, I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch.
0: I mean, look, the knockout didn't surprise me. It's just how it happened. In the pocket, the one place where I thought Cody would have a definitive advantage and uh TJ showed that, you know, no one's invincible in this sport, man. That's right. So, dude, this week we got an interesting car, man. And, you know, Cesar Fajera is taking on Nate Marquardt. And it's interesting because it's one of these situations where, look, Cesar Mutanchi, he's been putting it all together, and he's getting a lot of takedowns. He's found a way to work around his chin, kind of like Alistair Overeem did, just except uh, Mutanchi's more grappling-oriented. But with Marquardt, he always has this performance once every couple of years where he comes out and he absolutely starches someone and we know Mutanchi doesn't have the best chin in the world I see the winner of this fight being a high point scorer the question is who's going to win this fight
2: uh, I'm going with Cesar to win the fight uh, but I do think if Marco has a shot to win against anybody I mean Cesar would be a good one to get that knockout on and Marquardt's only 7,100 in DraftKings, so if he can get that first-round knockout, he is going to just kill his value. Um, I just don't see it happening. I'm going to go with Ferreira in this one. Um, the problem is he's 9,100 on DraftKings, <laughs> and him paying off value will be 91 points, and that might be tough to get. Uh, I don't know if he, how many takedowns is he going to get, you know, going against a submission artists as well. So this could be a, a low-scoring Cesar fight. So... I might fade it all together, but I would not hate a Marquardt GBP punt at all.
0: I have to assume a lot of people are going to have Junior Albini in their lineups. I mean, look, Arlovsky's coming off five losses in a row. Albini just knocked out Tim Johnson, which no one's done in the UFC as of now. So on paper, we're all thinking Albini's going to come out here and knock him out. Are you Are you on board, or you you playing contrarian here?
2: Uh, I mean, I'd probably rather go contrarian just because I'm an Arlovski fan. Uh, and it wouldn't shock me if he won, because uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of Albini yet. So uh, an Arlowski first-round knockout just wouldn't shock me. So uh, the low points, I mean, uh, 7,300 is all he's on DraftKings. So if he gets that first-round knockout, same as Markor, it's just going to add up, and you're going to be at the top of a GBP lineup. Uh, and Albini, he is 8,900, so he pretty much has to get the knockout too to the payoff value. So again, I would rather just go on the pump play on this one as well. However, I don't think you can just fade Albini because he does have a good shot at the knockout. So if I'm making 10 lineups, I want some of both of these guys.
0: So Matt Brown's taking on Diego Sanchez. I mean, they're both at the tail ends of their careers, but these are two of the most exciting fighters in UFC history. When Matt Brown wins a fight, it's usually really violent, man, and I I would assume he scores a lot of points because he finishes guys. The thing is, it's been a long time since he's finished anyone, and Diego's known for his durability, but at the same time, you know, he has finally been getting stopped. You know, in in recent fights, which never happened early on in his career. But as you know, the fight game, you know, there's only so long you can fight like Diego Sanchez does. So that being said, man, are you thinking Matt Brown's going to come out here and put him away? Or do you think the body kick's going to be a big weapon for Diego?
2: Yeah, I think Matt Brown is definitely a play here. He always scores high when he wins. It's always over 90 points. Uh, He just throws so many strikes where it's going to add up and you're going to get a good score. So, um I think he's definitely the play here. He's just the highest priced fighter on DraftKings, So I think he's probably going to have to score the most points on the card really for him to win you a GPP lineup. But I don't think that's out of reach. I think he could do it. Um, Sanchez is pretty faded at this point. So who who knows how many shots he can take to the face. He's taken almost more than anybody, if not more than anybody at this point. So I, I love the map round play. I think it's pretty safe. Uh, Brown and
0: Cash is definitely the way to go. So, man, this main event, I mean, it would have been an incredible fight back in the WEC, and it's going to be an incredible fight here in the UFC on Saturday. And look, I simply think that Dustin Poirier has more left in the tank than Anthony Pettis. But, I mean, Anthony Pettis in his prime, man. I mean, obviously the number one highlight in MMA history when he jumped off the cage and kicked (sighs) Benson Henderson's head into the fifth row. So... The thing is, man, he hasn't recreated that kind of success in a long, long time. And Dustin, ever since he moved up to 55, look, not like he sucked that featherweight at all, but since he moved up to, to 55, he's just been knocking dudes out left and right. And if they exchange in the pocket, I think it could be a similar result. What are you thinking for the main event?
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Poirier's the pick. Uh, I got to bet on Poirier. I like him to win. Um, I will have him in a lot of lineups. Uh, but at the same time, it's hard to fade Pettis as well. I mean, I think I'm going to have to have a few lines with him because when Poirier loses, it's usually because he gets knocked out in the first round, and he could score three points on DraftKings when Pettis walks away with 100. So I can't completely fade him the DraftKings, but Poirier is my pick. I have money on Poirier. Um, I think stacking in cash is pretty smart with this fight. I think they'll definitely add up to 120 or so, which is what you want. Um, but Poirier is the
0: pick. And, man, i got to ask you about Poirier specifically because, you know, obviously he's been knocking dudes out at 155 pounds like I alluded to, but even in his fight with Joe Duffy where it went all three rounds, did he score a lot of points with those takedowns? Uh,
2: Against against Duffy, he scored 89 in a win, and everything else on his chart is over 100, so that was actually the least he's scored in a win. Um, All the others have been over 100, which is just, Beautiful. He scored 132 over Maderos, 128 on Green. That's what you want to see on a GPP lineup. And he's only eighty eight thousand on DraftKings. So all he's really got to do is eighty points to pay off his value. So even in that Duffy fight, he would have got it done.
0: Speaking of Duffy, uh, how about uh, the Tex Executioner, Vic?
2: That's your boy. He did it. He killed it, man. Uh, I'm pretty sure you had to have him to win all the money last week.
0: Man, how how many points did he score?
2: Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I don't have that for me, but I, I think it was right
0: around 100, if not more. There we go, there we go. So, man, these prelims are really interesting because I feel like a lot of these fights are going to go the distance, but there are takedown artists here. Now, before we talk about the wrestlers, I want to talk about Sage Northcutt versus Mitchell Canones because, look, man, Sage Northcutt, talk about underwhelming and, you know, talk about tapping out to shit that's not even locked in, and I know Mitchell Canones got his ass Absolutely handed to him against Jared Gordon, and I know Jared Gordon set you know somewhat of a DraftKings record when he fought him. But there's a backstory, and I heard that Jared, that uh, Mitchell Canonas was 180 pounds. He got the call on three weeks' notice, and he had to cut to 145 pounds. And he said he couldn't even feel his legs after the first grappling exchange. I went back. I watched his regional scene fights, and look, it's not like he's spectacular, but I think he's got enough to beat someone who I don't really consider. A real fighter, and uh, I'm I'm picking him as an underdog pick. What do you think?
2: I think if you're picking him as an underdog pick, he's a great play to have in your DraftKings lineup as well because he's only 77. Uh, and if he wins, I I don't know why he wouldn't pay that off because is it going to be a decision? I mean, is North going to going to quit on him? Who knows? Uh, But I think I would just prefer to fade that fight. I just don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't really want to take many guesses. So I'd rather fade it and look elsewhere. But at the same time, Northcutt, I do think, would be the one going for the takedowns. So I I don't know. I just feel like his name alone will get too much attention and his ownership will be too high for there to be too much value on him. So I, I would just rather fade this fight and hope it's a boring decision and hopefully you win your bet.
0: So, is fighting Lozon, I mean, two legends of the lightweight division, and it's interesting because I see this fight playing out two different ways. Either Lozon's going to come out here and stop him in the first round, Or he's going to try his hardest to stop him in the first round, gas out, lose the next two rounds. We know Guida can go all day and we know that Lozon, it's not that he has shitty cardio. It's just that he expends so much energy trying to get you out of there in that first round that he's got nothing left in the second and third. And it's not just something that's been, you know, happening recently. This has been happening throughout his whole career. So, you know, I'm trying to nail it down to is he going to stop Guida or is Guida going to grind him in the last two? What do you think?
2: Uh, it's another one, man, I'd rather just fade this fight completely because I have no idea what's going to happen in this one. I mean, we've seen these guys so much over the years, so you would think we would have a really good uh, edge on this one, but I got nothing, man. This is just such a close matchup, I think. Um, but if I had to make a pick, I'm going with Lozon just because he does have a 100-point potential. Uh, Guida never scores 100 points, so I would rather just go with the higher ceiling and go with Lozon. Um, but if you're making one lineup, I think you have to fade this fight.
0: Now, I gotta ask you if you're fading this fight between Dodson and Marlon Morais because look, I think Dodson's got a serious speed advantage, but the issue is, when he wins these fights, man, he usually runs around the ring, runs around the cage, he does nothing, and then he does one little blitz, and he scores points like that, and I mean, that's, and then he wins the round, because you can't land on him, he's so fast. I have to assume he's not a big point scorer, right?
2: Yeah, correct. Uh, neither. I mean, he's not the worst point scorer, but lately he hasn't been the best, that's for sure. Uh, his last win was over Wineland, and he only scored 54 points, and that's that's just not good. You don't want that on your team. But his win before that was over Gambury, and, and that's 108 points. So, I mean, he can score. He does have a ceiling. Um, so, I don't think I'm going to fade this fight. I, I don't know exactly which way I'm going to go. I am leaning towards Dodson as the winner. Um, But I don't hate Marias either. So I think I would rather have a little bit of each rather than fade this fight. And I also think it will be a low-owned fight. So if they do score high, I think that will benefit me having a little bit of both.
0: So this fight between Tatiana Suarez and Vivian Pereira, it's interesting because from a betting perspective... I actually like the dog, man. I'll tell you why. I feel like she's more well-rounded and uh, she's a lot more experienced also. And if she can keep the fight standing, I think she'll pick her apart. That being said, I don't think she's going to score a lot of points. I think if anyone's going to score a lot of points in this fight, it's going to be Tatiana because, you know, she is a bit of a, I don't want to say a takedown machine, but look, she's a wrestler and the thing is, man. Her last fight, she fought a 1-2 and two opponent, and now she's taking on a 13-0 and 0 opponent. It's a big step up in competition. But if she wins this fight, you know exactly how it's going to go down. She's going to be getting takedowns, maybe even a submission.
2: Cool. Yeah, I, I, I think Tatiana is the DraftKings play. I think she's the only DraftKings play, honestly. Um, as you said, I think if you're going to try and make any money on Pereira, just, just bet it. Because she's 7,000 on DraftKings. So if she wins, she's got to get more than 70 points. And if she's on her back at all, it's going to be really hard to get 70 points. So I would, I'm fading her completely. I guarantee I won't have a single lineup with her. Um, but I, I am interested in Tatiana just for those takedowns. If she's going to win, that's how it's going to be. It's going to be takedown city. Um, unless the other chick doesn't get up, then she's probably going to finish her. But, I mean, ideally she gets a takedown. Yeah, the other chick keeps getting up, and we get more and more takedowns. That's what you want at a price of ninety two hundred on DraftKings. So she's going to have to get a lot of takedowns or an early finish to pay it off. But I think I I, I will definitely have some Tatiana lineups. It's just, are you going to get her or are you going to get Matt Brown in your lineups? That's I think you're going to have to come down to that decision.
0: Personally, I like Matt Brown, but you know that, that that's just me. You know what I'm saying? I think he's yeah. I don't I don't hate it either. Yeah, exactly. But dude, listen. Because Rafael Asuncao is fight, fighting Matthew Lopez. And the issue with Sao is he's so damn skilled. I mean, he's got to win over the current champion, TJ Dillashaw. He beat Pedro Munoz. He's beaten all these guys, Brian Caraway, Marlon Moraes. But he always fights to the level of his competition. And he's known for going to close split decisions. I have to assume he's not a high point scorer. And with Lopez, I mean, the kid's a bit of a finisher. But this is such a big step up in competition. Are we fading this fight? Um, no, I don't think I'm fading it. I do think
2: you fade a sunset because it's right there in the middle of Brown and Tatiana. So you're going to go with Brown or Tatiana. So you're not going to get a sunset, especially with the points he's scoring. So I think if there is a play in this, it's Lopez. He's 6,900 on DraftKings. So if he's going to win, it's a good chance he pays it off. I think he's a decent punt, if not one of the better punts on the card um so he would be my preferred play but a fade on a sunset.
0: so man before i let you go are you digging anything between sean strickland and court mcgee or angela hill and nina Ansaroff, or are you passing all together because from the sounds of it both those fights are going to decision
2: yeah i don't i don't know about the girl fight um i would rather i guess save the money go with Ansaroff. she's training with the champion every day so i'd rather just go with her uh but I am interested in that McGee Strickland fight. I'm just not sure which one I'm going on yet. Uh, I'll probably have a little bit of both in my lineups, but I think Strickland's definitely my pick. The problem is, he's 87 on DraftKings, while McGee is 7500. So I don't know. I would rather just play a little bit of both and uh, hope for a really good fight in that one. And whoever wins, hopefully they'll pay off the value.
0: I feel like on paper this is a tough one to make. This is a tough card to, to make a lineup on.
2: It really is, man. Yeah, I uh, I think this will be a lot lesser of a lineup card for me. I'm thinking maybe even three lineups for me this week. So I'm really going to have to narrow it down to who I like the most if I do only three lineups. Uh, and the problem is the, the MMA, the hook that they have, the $8 contest, it's only 10 k to first this week. Uh, if it was 20 I'd probably have a lot more lineups. But uh, I think I'm just going to try and narrow it down to who I really like and maybe – Maybe do maybe. No more than two of one person in my three lineups. So maybe I'll have Poirier in two lineups, Pettis in the other one, and just try to try to come in first.
0: Yeah, it's only 10K. No big deal, right?
2: All right yeah, it's just couch change, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> my man. <laughs> well, Kyle, man, thanks for the time as always. Everybody follow this man at Big Marley 3 And, dude, enjoy this fight because, I mean, it's not often that you get guys like Poirier and Pettis in the octagon together, it's gonna to be a classic, and I can't wait, man.
2: That's right. Go, uh, go, place your bets on Poirier. He's gonna get it.
0: Yes, sir. I cannot wait, Kyle. Thanks again for the time, and we'll speak next week, man. All right, buddy. Take care. And once again, that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle.
1: I mean, yeah, Kyle Marley is one of the best in this game, and uh, I always take his opinion into
0: account. Yes, sir. Well, we gotta talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC Norfolk?
1: The fight to watch is the main event. I mean, Dustin Poirier, that's all you have to say. Name one boring Dustin Poirier fight. I can't. (laughs) You can't. I mean, the guy is involved in straight-up life and death wars. I
0: can name a boring Pettis fight, The <laughs> exactly.
1: fight. Exactly. So, Dustin Poirier you never have to question the heart. You never have to question the desire. You never have to question if you're going to get a boring, lackluster fight. That ain't going to happen for the, you know, the casual fans. And uh, I think this is the fight to watch. I mean, if he can get this one against the former champion and you know, you know, if especially if he can get a finish. I mean, let's not forget what he just did to Eddie Alvarez. Um he can be in line for one one more win and possibly a title shot.
0: Look, man, sorry to be boring, but I have to completely agree with you. I mean, anytime Dustin Poirier is fighting, let alone fighting Anthony Showtime Pettis, I mean, obviously that's the fight to watch. Two legends of the sport, two legends of the lightweight division. It's going to be absolutely incredible. WC never die. Cannot wait for this one. Who's the fighter to watch? Man,
1: my fighter to watch is going to be uh, Michelle Quinones, man. You know, he had a rough uh, debut against uh, Jared Flash Gordon, but uh, I wanna, I'm interested to see how he uh, takes care of this kid, Sage Northcutt, who, like I said, I don't think he belongs here. I don't think he's on this level. I don't think he has what it takes mentally to compete on this level, and I feel like the kid breaks, and I'm interested to see how Quinones comes in here and uh, breaks him down slowly. And, uh, you know, if Quinones can get this win, hey, he's a guy
0: that beat Sage Northcutt exactly you beat a hyped guy like that who gets 50k to show you know people are going to take note even though sage is a great a jobber like you mentioned last week and absolutely he's one of the fighters to watch for me even though he's a big favorite i'm going to go with junior albini look the heavyweight division is in need of new blood need of new talent and i think a guy like junior albini he's still in his 20s correct me if i'm wrong i believe he's still in his 20s and the guy's training at Astra Fight Team. He's got guys like Darren Till and Gleco Franca with him. And, man, his footwork for a heavyweight, his body kicks, I think he truly brings something unique to the table in terms of the striking game. And I'm curious to see that on full display here in this showcase fight against Andre Arlovski. So he's my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday. UFC Norfolk, Anthony Showtime Pettis versus Dustin Poirier, Matthew Immortal Brown versus Diego Sanchez. I mean, one of the best main events in recent memory. I mean, it would have been an incredible main event. Eight years ago in the WC. It's going to be an incredible event this Saturday in the UFC. I cannot wait. And uh, they can follow you at MMA Genius 05. Anything else you want to tell them? No, nah, man. Um, you know, just thanks for the support. You know, I'm
1: always down to, uh, you know, give my opinion out.
0: Yes, sir. I am as well. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. If you guys enjoy the show, make sure you hook up those five star reviews on iTunes. And, uh, you know, thank you guys for all the support. Everyone that's been down with us since day one, thank you. And everyone that is just jumping on the bandwagon now, thank you as well. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.